mysteries of Gravity Falls creep into the non-animated world, this is the Gravity Bros Podcast. I'm Alec Hester, and I am joined today, as always, by my brother Lucas. Lucas, how are you? I am doing great. It's a lovely morning where I am. How are you? I'm doing good, but have you ever just worried that you might be a side character in your own life? Is that ever something like a thought that crosses your mind? No, you know, I actually prefer that, you know, because there's no pressure. You you can be a cool side. There's a million ways to play a side character, but you got pressure as a protagonist. I, well, so I any, like... anytime I think that, I'm into it. Well, I like to think that Seuss does it pretty good, and we are going to talk about Seuss, exactly. Dipper and Mabel, and Grunkelstan, and all of the great characters of episode two of Gravity Falls today. Episode two is, of course, The Legend of the Gobblewonker, which has to be one of my favorite early episodes of this whole mm-hmm. show. Um, it, do you have a similar takeaway? Um, I don't know if it's one of my favorite, but I think from a technical aspect, I'm going to end up praising it very much in this in this little discussion. Interesting. Okay, well, I'm excited to get into it. Um, episode one, when I watched Gravity Falls the very first time, I had mentioned, I wasn't sure, I wasn't sure. They got to the gnome reveal, and I was like, whoa, that's clever. I'm really interested at where this show is going to go. You yeah. said that moment happened more at the ending, where we get teased that Grunkle Stan has something more to his backstory. Mm-hmm. But I have to say, episode two was where I knew that I was hooked completely unlike the fish that grunkle stan couldn't catch with his family this episode okay yep i was gonna make a fishing joke you stole it and it was bad so (laughs) i'm sorry i should have let you just uh go for it yeah so (laughs) go fish ah hey so dude i think that it sounds good to just get right into the recap this episode yeah let's Um, do it so We, we got the Loch Ness monster everyone no one's mad about it you know, uh, I think it was a strong choice for the second episode to go with such a mainstream cryptid. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I like that episode one didn't go with something like Bigfoot. I, it kind of went the zombie route, but the redirection made it so much more unique. But I do think it's good that episode two with, went with something. But we did get a little redirection too, you know? Yes, we sure did, and we'll get into that. So yeah. The intro starts for this episode. Uh, Dipper and Mabel are having a syrup race or something to see who can get syrup into their mouth this gross, fast. Gross, by the way. Yes. Super gross. But do you also feel like, as siblings, this is the kind of thing that we would have done? Like, a stupid, silly game like that, a contest for no reason? You know, what it really reminds me of is people born from, like, 96 to 2000. Or, like, mo- more from 90, 92 to, to 98, probably doing like you know the aslc challenge whatever those things were and oh uh, the a- ALS, uh, als ice bucket challenge yeah yeah exactly and and it reminds me of stuff like that like it, it's still that like childlike thing that you would do but it's almost bleeding into the like you know k- things kids would see on the internet like chugging a bottle of maple syrup i had a friend oh yeah i had a friend in college who literally chugged a bottle of maple syrup a whole bottle in front of everyone that's horrible. Yeah, it's horrible. And he probably saw it on the internet. So that's why I say that. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, awesome in this watch, case, though. Dipper does not go to the internet for the next point of plot progression. He goes to Wacky News, which is, you know, it seems like kind of your National Enquirer type uh, newspaper. And it's showing mm-hmm. a photo contest for mysterious creatures. So, hmm Real quick, I loved that it was in black and white. It was a really small detail, and I really liked it. They didn't have to do that. It was cool. It was probably the, less money to not use color. 
I know, but it was still a stylistic choice, you know? You're right, you're right. No, 100% I agree with you. And those little types of touches are the kinds of things that make this show so special. Yeah. Um, so Dipper decides, oh, we can make a bunch of money by taking a picture of a creature and sending it off to this uh, National Enquirer-type magazine. I will also say, I think he wants fame for the discovery more than he wants money. Just a little quick. Important for his character to say that. I think you know? that's true. I think that Mabel might be more in it for the money, if she's in for it at all. You know, I think she she's might just also... in. She's just in. I don't, I don't think fun. there's a for it. Yeah. I guess that's true. Uh, now, they think about, oh, what if we just had a picture of the gnomes, but unfortunately they don't have them, so they're gonna have to find somewhere else. And that is what leads us in to our plot here today. Yeah. I, I also love the, like, how this plays with the, um, you know, kind of the fantasy. Anybody who got into cryptozoology wanted to take a picture of a cryptid and probably at some point imagined it being the Loch Ness Monster or a sea monster, you know? I know Alex so and I had growing up. So I think that that's such a cool premise. Like, not just that it's in the thing, but this is the challenge to get a picture of it, you know? And to start, again, it's a concept you couldn't do to death. So it's good that they do it at episode two. Because it gets rid of the idea early on of proving to society. It shows already in this episode, and I think this is important. It introduces the concept that proving that any of this is going to be real is actually going to be very difficult. And setting the stage for that for the rest of the show is really important. Because it makes it believable that, that not everybody knows what's going on. That's a really good point, because Dipper and Mabel do seem to be the ones the most in the know for this whole thing, and no matter how hard they try, it always seems to somehow blow up in their face. Um, at least in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so and, we, before... and we, get a real, we get a realistic amount of cluelessness from our side characters, like Wendy's dad, who's like arm-wrestling a fish or whatever in the boat. <laughs> Stuff That's like that. That's right, and we'll get to that. So... The mechanism that we get to the lake is that Grunkle Stan pops in and decides he wants to have a family bonding day. We get a hilarious scene of the last time they had a family bonding day, uh, which ended up in everybody being in the county jail, if you remember. So, literally, it was money laundering. Like, he, they, were, they were creating counterfeit money. They were all painting dollars. And then, yeah. And then Mabel just goes, the, the, like, the town county jail was so cold. Such a funny joke to just, <laughs> it's so funny. And, and Grunkle Stan, he goes right past it and is just like, so who wants to put on some blindfolds and get in my car? Oh my <laughs> God. So that's what he says. And, and Dipper goes, wait, what? And it plays to the theme song, right? That could have been just a gag. No, 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 no. The episode opens with them actually blindfolded in the back of a car. <laughs> it's so good. And of course. I was dying. Also something that happened to me in college, so it was, it was extra funny. Well, all right. Learning more about <sighs> Lucas every day. <laughs> so they're in the car. They wind up at the lake. And this is important because once we get to the lake, we meet several of the minor characters that are going to appear in this show recurring-wise for a very long time. So you mm -hmm. mentioned Wendy's dad uh, mm -hmm. happens to be Manly Dan, and he's like this big, gruff, Scottish-looking guy. Uh, just grabs a fish right out of the water. Is like, this is how a real man does it. For for everyone who doesn't have clairvoyance and can't see my face right now, uh, I'm shaking my head because I didn't know his name was... Did you say Manly Stan? No, <laughs> Manly Dan. Manly Dan. Jeez, man. Okay. That's yep. funny. We also get an iconic 
Get him. Get him. Yes. We get the intro of that joke. There's there's a lot of actually really awesome side characters that get introduced here. Yeah, that character's name, who always just shows up with that line, is Tyler Cute Biker. And did you know he is played by Will Forte from Saturday Night Live? I actually did know that. I did actually know that. Yeah. That was news to me when I looked it up. Yeah, yeah. But I would say the star minor character of our episode, he enters the equation. It is Old Man McGuffin. Old Man McGuffin. The crazy old person of the town who's always shouting about conspiracies. He shows up and he's talking about the Gravity Falls Gobblewonker. You mentioned the Loch Ness Monster earlier, so this is our Loch Ness Monster equivalent. The lake monster that everybody dreams is in their town and they want the picture of. At least if they believed that it was true. Mm-hmm. Old Man McGuffin, McGuffin does not have the best track record, and it seems like I would say all of the people in this town are pretty skeptical about his claims. I mean, I've certainly met my fair share of MacGuffin-like creatures in my day, and uh, I'd probably not believe a word he said as well, if I were Yeah, probably not. I think the saddest part of that is that his own son owns the recreation center and just, like, shoes him away. Ignores him. Get out of here, yeah. You know, that's one of the things I actually... I found so much much charm in watching this another time around. Like, I've seen this episode a couple times, but this time specifically the moral of family and how well that was actually woven throughout this episode, I thought was fantastic. Yeah. Well, and I really think that they hit home at the end, which we'll get to. Yeah. Um, So, so, so Stan brings them to do this fishing trip, right? And obviously Seuss shows up at the same time with a cooler boat and he's Seuss, you know, even in terms of fan favorites, everyone would rather hang out with Seuss because he's just fun. You know, like, there's a scene where Dipper and Mabel are, like, you know, faced with, like, that eyeline match cut of deciding whether or not to go with Seuss or or Grunkle Stan. And they look at Grunkle Stan, and the boat is all broken, and there's a fart sound, and he smells his armpits, and there's a leak in the bottom. And then they look at Seuss, and, you know, you would expect Seuss to have all this, like, cool gadgets. Literally, all he does is do the robot. That is literally nothing else. He just does the robot. Maybe there's, like, some music. And they're like, we're going with Seuss. Next scene, they're immediately in his boat and driving away. Yeah, and yeah whole... I believe that the appeal is that it just has, quote, boat stuff. Unless I just yeah. wrote that down on my own, but I'm pretty sure that was straight dialogue. Yeah, and I think the, the boat was called SS Cool Guy or something like that. Yeah, SS, SS Cool Dude. Cool Dude, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so that was funny, but I like that, you know, the plot line with MacGuffin and the plot line with them and their dad is all relating around... With their grunkle. Know, grunkle, sorry. Um, it, it's all relating around spending time with your family. And and the moral... And I think I was... I, I noticed this especially because a lot of the content that we've covered on our YouTube channel and elsewhere seems to be very mean-spirited towards elderly people. I don't know why See, that always happens. A very common gag in cartoons. As it it's turns really out, weird. Especially lately, yeah. Yeah, I know. So the fact that this one was really, really heartfelt and was like, I mean, we'll get we'll get to how it really hits home at the end. But the fact that the moral of the episode really is spend time with your loved ones while they're around is really awesome. <laughs> I agree, and it's nice because Grunkle Stan as crotchety and mean as he can be this clearly means a lot to him to be taking his nephew and niece on this fishing trip 
And uh, I love his whole side plot, which is going to be what we're going to get into next. I do want to mention that we also meet Sheriff Blubs and Deputy Durland, who Mm -hmm. are the sheriffs of the town. Well, sheriff and deputy. And they are also going to serve an important point in a couple different ways as we get further into the series. I don't think anything major to the plot, but definitely major to the meta of Gravity Falls, I think. And and flavor. And the flavor of Gravity Falls. That's one of my favorite words to talk about it, dude, because the show has so much flavor. Totally. So... They go off with Seuss. They decide to leave Grunkle Stan. And Dipper has the idea to try to get a picture of the Gobblewonker because, you know, he knows that this town is wild and it is quite possible that this old man could be onto something. So, so they stack up on, like, 50 cameras be- and, and like, comedically start breaking all of them. Like, Seuss just has one in his hand. He's like, now remember, don't break or lose any of these cameras. Seuss is like, wait, break or lose the cameras? No, 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 don't do that. Dude, I already threw two of them over- overboard. <laughs> yeah, so, and they just continuously hit it over and over yeah. again. You know, yeah. Dipper's taking it so seriously, and Mabel and Seuss are just driving him crazy, trying yeah. and <laughs> to again, throw every camera fully, away. Fully establishing the... Like, oh, okay, no, this is actually, like, going to be difficult for Dipper to ever get proof of anything to anybody. Like, not only because the people of the town are weird, but because the people he's immediately involved with are going to sabotage his attempts. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah, 100%. Including himself. Like, he breaks a bunch of cameras, too. And meanwhile, so we have the action scene of them trying to take the picture of the, the gobble wonker. Well, I'm not going to try. I, I can't. No, you got it. You got it. I'm I did. Right. Oh my goodness. That's, that's a miracle. No, no um, nature is not Lucas's thing. I'm the dude, one who I can't yeah. name. My brain doesn't do names. I'm good at other things. Um, but <laughs> paralleled with the plot, with, which is great action, great mystery, lots of funny moments with Mabel, Dipper, and Seuss all interacting. Mabel and Seuss specifically have great chemistry in this episode. But we get Grunkle Stan being jealous and boating around the lake, trying to steal other families' relationships so that he can feel fulfilled because his grandkids or whatever. They left him. And those scenes are so, so, so funny. He he boats up on this couple and one's about to propose to his fiance. And he goes, yeah. he, he, he boats up and he's like, so you want to hear a joke? <clears throat> is the joke. Do it. My ex-wife misses me, but her aim's getting better. Her aim's getting better. <laughs> Get it? Because marriage is terrible. <laughs> he does it just like that. <laughs> and <laughs> it, 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 I just, I was dying. I, I've seen this like five times at least at this point, and it's still so funny to me. Everything that Grunkle does in this episode. And it's one of the strongest things about this show that, that we get so much of. Is, it's so funny. And and what I also like about this in terms of character development for Grunkle Stan is, like, we get that he's really sketchy in this episode. Like, his boat is jank. He literally could have gotten his whole family, including children, arrested from counterfeit money. That is a big illegal thing. That is not a small deal. Um, so we get how sketchy he is, but we also get how he's also genuinely, in his own way, a really loving person and really wants to make a human connection with his... Um, Family, whatever. I don't. I don't even know. You, you sure, can say family. Family is good. Grunkle throws me off. You know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't. 
it's too it's much a lot for me to, to think about. <laughs> yeah, I, I, again, my brain's good at other things. Um, it, it's not grandpa, it's like grunkle is in great uncle, is the idea. Okay, well, the, my helps. point, my point is that, you know, I'm not going to spoil where the story goes, but considering where his plotline goes, it's very important for us to have an episode like this really early on, where we do get that mix of the questionable nature of his character as well as the you know family wholesome love your family element of him it's very well packed into this totally and they uh kind of separate out when these funny comedic moments on the boat happen with him but i'm gonna go ahead and talk about the other two now uh and then we'll focus more on the plot itself uh he also bothers a child like a random child on another boat that's a good tries one. to teach him about fishing as if he's trying to like kidnap him or something and the parents of course threaten to call the police and he also interrupts this is actually one of my favorite parts when he interrupts a family having a super nice moment of a child asking his pop pop about fishing and <laughs> oh that was so- great that was great pop pop i just realized I love you. Oh my. Yeah, and, and Grunkle is literally like, oh, come on! Just like screaming. <laughs> yeah, he, and he literally interrupts he the moment. doesn't have anyone that he loves. Yes, it's it's so good. Like, oh, completely heavy-handed. And the, the writers are so intentionally doing everything they can to really just hammer home. Grunkle Stan is lonely in these moments and everything around him is just pushing him further and further into this frustrating feeling of loneliness another thing on that note that this episode does really well is there are moments where they have the opportunity to do a pretty regular easy kids show joke right Mm -hmm. and that's one of them where it ends up being just a little bit full. Like it could have been a regular joke, but it gets just a little, they go a little bit further with it than they have to. And it gets just a little bit funnier. There's, I, I almost don't even know how to describe it because there's something that they do with comedic timing that makes it a little bit more funny than a regular joke in that way. And one of the things that makes me think about that the most is the fantasies that Mabel and Dipper have of what they would do with the money if they got a picture of this thing, right? Oh, which is, yeah. Which is already funny because, like, $500 isn't really that much money. I think it's not even that much. Isn't it just 100 It It was... I thought that they might have said 500 each, but I could be wrong about that. I don't remember. Um, it's possible. It's possible. Either way, it's not like they're buying a house with this much money. And the funniest thing is, like, you know, you can imagine this is a punchline that is easy. You have kids who are fantasizing what they're going to do with money, okay? there's It's an easy joke. You've been teed up for a bunch of funny things. Doing something that's actually really funny is going to be kind of hard, right? So we go to Mabel, and Mabel's character in, it, in of itself is what makes this so much funnier than anything else would be. We see Mabel, instead of some regular-ass easy joke of her, like, I don't know, like, maybe silly joke of her, like, a present voice. There's a million things that she could have done. She's just in a big hamster ball, right? Which is ridiculous enough. But then she hamster wheels up to an, a hamster in a ball. And in her fantasy goes, not so hot now, are you? And the hamster's just like, oh no. <laughs> like, he doesn't say that uh, for if you haven't seen yeah, the episode. But he has a look on his face that's like perfectly animated. And it's just... And then they go even further where this, this hamster ball 
invades Dipper's fantasy later of him getting some like award from some mayor or whatever the president I don't know um he gets some award for like catching this cryptid and Mabel bursts into the fantasy on her hamster ball with this like savage look on her face like she's been traveling for days and is just like why won't you interview me or whatever and it's like a giant comedic moment that really doesn't have that much to do with the plot and they spend a lot of time on it and it's so extra and it makes it so much funnier than it would have regularly been if they'd gone an easier route with the joke yeah no i'm glad that you mentioned all that because it really encapsulates dipper and mabel's characters a lot in that moment and we're still early Mm -hmm. in the show so these kind of character moments are really important really Um, important yeah and it's what I think makes Mabel especially so charming is these really elaborate ideas that she just comes up with out of the blue. Yeah. So I'm glad we're doing this show because like, there's so many little lines, like just little lines, maybe even just a couple words that are just delivered in such a way that they're so funny. And I couldn't talk about all of them. Um, Mabel has a lot of them, though. That's what made me think of that. Yeah, Definitely. So they get to Scuttlebutt Island, which is, you know, it's a little island that's off the coast of the lake or whatever. They find a lake monster in the foggy distance, but it's just some wood sticking out of the ground. Oh, yeah. You actually got me with that fake ad. I'd even seen the episode. I thought we were going straight into the conversation already. Yes. Well, I'm glad because they hear a sound too, but it turns out the monster is just a beaver with a chainsaw, you know. Which is pretty cool, to be honest. Like that picture should be enough. Yeah, can you imagine? Like, uh, I think that that could win other photo contests. It doesn't have to be for wacky news. Absolutely. Dude, if I could get a picture of a beaver with a chainsaw, I'd probably just have a very viral video on the internet one day. Yeah, that's probably about as far as it would go. (laughs) Yeah, nobody nobody would actually. That's probably what happened if you got a picture of Bigfoot for real, too, to be honest. Let's go. Yes, but turns out not only is there a beaver with a chainsaw, but the true beast is also in the lake. And Dipper immediately starts getting some amateur shots, you know, the kind that are very vague, like you might see from the old days with the Loch Ness Monster. And then it attacks him. <laughs> sorry, sorry, then, to, sorry to kill your tension rising there. I just <laughs> And he drops the camera in fear as the full face emerges. So they and get they chased. Twenty more. <laughs> yeah. This is the second chase scene that we get kind of in a row, which is okay. Um, maybe already retiring a concept. Oh, really? I, I didn't. I didn't feel that way. Oh, you mean like second episode where we have a chase scene like this? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. I thought you meant ch- second in the same episode. No, I mean, I, I, I see what you mean. That's a fair critique that we're. It makes it feel like we're following kind of the same narrative as the prior episode. Yeah, but a little, a little. I, I would say that that might be something that's kind of like um. You know, something that they feel they might have to do for the format of the show since they haven't proven themselves yet. You know, because there's still a new Disney show at the time of releasing episode two. So sticking to, you know, the fantastical formula is a safe and a smart move, probably. But even still, within that limitation, it's still a good chase scene. I'm not entertained by it for a second. Like, well, of course. And it's comedic ways that they lose all the cameras. The design of the monster's pretty good. You know, the interactions between the characters. It's a good chase scene, definitely. And that's the thing, is that the chase scenes are very different. In a way, it's very Scooby-Doo. And I love that, because it feels classic to have these types yeah. of chase from the monster scenes. So I'm not critiquing it that hard. It's just a small oh, observation. I'm glad you said that, because there was... um. 
there's one joke that reminded me that I thought you'd appreciate of old time cartoons that I thought almost felt out of place, but it didn't because I laughed so hard at it. And it's when in the chase scene, they're like boating away from the monster and there's two people carrying a plane of glass on boats. It's like there's no, which is just like a trope, you know, like a slapstick sure. trope that they burst through the, why are they carrying a pane of glass at all? And then it's just on boats in the lake. Uh, I thought I, that that was super funny. <laughs> I really I, did. I did love that. Another <laughs> great part of that chase scene is Seuss just starting to throw more of the cameras at the monster to make yeah, it go Yeah, exactly. So lots of great classic influence uh, with slapstick there. Creative yeah. scene. Exactly. So as we get through these, or I should say, after we get through these fun sequences, they arrive in a cave and the beast gets stuck trying to reach them. And amazing. This was a surprising creative choice to me. They have a camera left and they are able to take several pictures of the beast. They're not all gone, even though we've been set up for this gag where they're just going to run out of cameras. No, the actual twist is that as they're celebrating, the beast gets hit. (sighs) By a falling block of wood or rock or something like that. Something and like that, yeah. It malfunctions. It's essentially, it turns out to be this Loch Ness monster aquatic robot. So if you have aquatophobia, that like fear of marine machines, this is not the episode for you. Uh it's submechanophobia, I think that's what it's called. Um I'm sure that's scientific, yeah. No, it's I'm serious. Submechanophobia is a real thing. There's like a whole... Wait, 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 wait. No, there's there's YouTube videos about like all of the creepiest like underwater robots that you can see at theme parks and they call them like things that'll give you submechanophobia. I'm serious. This is a real thing. There's tons of videos about this. Look this up. Oh my God. Okay, I might be I'm using the wrong this. word, but the, the, the concept is right. I think it is submechanophobia, but if, if not, it's close. Um, what the heck? This is a real thing? Oh, you're gonna go down a rabbit hole now that you know that's real, dude. There's so many cool videos. You're gonna find so many weird, creepy theme parks now. <laughs> oh my goodness! A fear of submerged man-made objects, either partially or entirely underwater. What the heck? Dude, Lucas bringing in the science here. I can't believe you just pulled that out. Is yeah. this, like, a common thing that people are talking about? No, I'm just into weird stuff. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so... (laughs) Anywho, so turns out old man MacGuffin built the robot just so that he had something to distract his son and give him a little bit of attention. Isn't that the sweetest thing? And so sad. I think that's really sad. And I don't know. I I was definitely not empathizing for elderly people when I watched this for the first time. And I'm glad that this instills values like that because I think now in my life, I realize that that's a really important thing and a really kind thing to do. And when I got the, it hit me different when I, this time, because now I've like, I don't know when, when you start losing people, when you get older, it kind of really makes that hit home a little bit harder. So like, if you're young and you've seen the show or you're listening to this podcast and you're hear this moral and you're like, yeah, it's the moral, like for love your fan. No, it's a good moral. It's actually a good moral. It's not one of those heavy handed kids show things. And they do it justice in this episode. You know, like when he says, I just wanted now granted old man MacGuffin also built a crazy robot. And then also we kind of learn more about maybe he built some other crazy things like death rays and stuff like that which is weird. 
so don't do that. But like, in general, it's still a really heartfelt moral. And then it relates to Grunkle Stan, and Dipper and Mabel are like, oh no, we should spend time with our Grunkle. Um, wow, well said, man. Uh, I yeah, love that. It, so I'm going to transition in the same <laughs> awkward way that the show did, which is straight into finding out that Old Man MacGuffin is also kind of a maniac. <laughs> yeah, this um, is also true. Yeah, so the thing is that MacGuffin literally confesses here that he has tons of robots for all kinds of different reasons that are not only related to family, and says that now he's going to go back to work on his death ray since the leg monster robot is done for. So it does paint this amazing moral, but I kind of like that it undercuts it a little bit to try to keep the comedy going. It doesn't take it away, but it reminds you, we're not trying to be a heavy-handed lesson-teaching show. We want morals in there. But we want to make sure that we're also keeping our audience entertained. And then maybe they learn something along the way, too. Yeah, well, and I think that this show and Alex Hirsch's style of writing is really good at not making it feel heavy-handed. I don't remember if it's this episode or another one because I didn't write it down. But I remember at some point when the moral happens, I think it was this episode, Seuss goes like, oh, wow, that's a pretty good moral. We should definitely think about that one in the future, something like that. And, oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, I interrupt you right now to bring you Dr. Seuss. So Dr. Seuss, remember last time we said we're going to call him Dr. Seuss? We got to do it every time that Seuss imparts wisdom in the show because- A diagnosis from Dr. Seuss, exactly. Because after Old Man MacGuffin says to Dipper and Mabel, you just have no idea how far the people go to spend time with their families or something very similar. Yeah. They're like, ooh, maybe we should not have just ditched our Grunkle Stan. And that's what they're thinking in their head. And Dr. Seuss goes, wow, I guess the real monster is you two. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that was it. That was exactly what I was talking about. Yeah. And it's and, so good. And it, it's good because like, it's so self-aware that it's like, yeah, we're doing a kid's show moral, but we're it, it knows it's doing it well, too, you know? And it even knows it's funny. Like, it's such a con- it was such a confident move, and it was delivered so well. You know, the, the line, because if someone else had read it, it would have sounded canned or phony, but the delivery from Seuss is what gives it that spice that makes it great, in my opinion. Totally. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Now... So Dipper and Mabel do go back to spend time with Grunkle Stan after all, and we get that sweet resolution where he acts like he doesn't want them there, but he totally does. Um, And I think there's a really nice photo montage of them keeping the photos from that time. And I, in a really meta way, having watched this series and already having spent time with these characters, there was something really nostalgic and nice to me about watching those photo montages take place. Because it's like the journey is over. And it reminds me of like when we go back to old photo montages that you and I could have from our time living in Colorado together. And we look back and it's like, wow, look at the really good fun times that we had during this summer. Uh, I I have have too much existential depression for that. I can't look at pictures. (laughs) (laughs) It rings very authentic to me the way that the show does this. And no, no, it does for me too. I'm... I mean, I'm not, I'm kind of joking. There's truth in my jokes, but uh, I do think that it makes it feel very, very wholesome and like great. It gives it depth. It's it's a good montage. It's a good use of the montage editing style, I think. Uh, Very well integrated. Yeah, something that's weird for me, they, and by the way, I did look it up. It's $1,000 was the prize. You were correct. 500 would be what they would get. And for some reason, even though they have the pictures of the monster, 
they, I guess because it's fake, they don't turn it in. Why not just turn the photo in? That's what I thought too. I'm like, they don't expect real pictures anyway. Just turn in what you found. Who cares if you yeah. know it's a robot? Make a thousand dollars. Sorry about the integrity of wacky news. Yeah, I know. But sorry that National Enquirer, sorry you didn't bring in something legit to the National Enquirer of cartoons. <laughs> like, just turn in the thing and make a, you, you, at the beginning of this episode, you were literally painting money. I don't think that it's outside of your scope of morality. You were willing to go and ditch your <laughs> grunkle who was so excited for to fish thou- with you for a thousand dollars. Who you already made counterfeit money with, so you might as well just make the next step. Absolutely mind-blowing to me. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> I know, right? I, I Silly, silly choice. And you know what? We could say... I, I, like, I don't feel like that ruins the continuity of the show or anything. You know, we could just, you know, say, like, oh, that's Dipper's character. Or, like, that's just the silliness of cartoons. Like, I don't think that breaks how good of an episode this was or anything. But I did think about that, too. I definitely thought, like, wait, they still have all these... <laughs> and the camera didn't break or anything. Like, Yeah, 100%. But the cool thing <laughs> is, in contrast to that, we do get footage of a real type of sea monster at the very end of the episode that we is do down get, there. Yeah, we, we get another, like... I like that it wasn't such a plot-heavy teaser at the end. It was just, like, a feeding the mystery of Gravity Falls mystery at the end. It wasn't, like, Grunkle... You know, it wasn't, like, part two of Grunkle Stan's mystery, whatever that is. It was, oh, this place is still weird. There still is a monster. Um... But it's it's not it, again. It's more flavor than plot, and I like that. I like that that it wasn't because if it's plot every time, it might start to overwhelm certain audiences, you know. So I think yeah. that they do it well. It's a good mix. It kind of does do that thing that you were talking about, where it feels like it's following the formula of the previous episode. Um, but it's not tired yet. I think if it kept doing it, it would get tired. But I don't. I, it didn't feel that way for me. Yeah, dude, I, I'm right there with you, and. I think it was a really fun way for them to end the episode. I know that little Alec, when he would see stuff like that, if there was a cartoon or a movie or something where they teased a monster and then it didn't turn out being real, I would always go wild when I saw a little montage at the very end that said, actually, maybe it is. Yeah, I It's a little bit cheap, but I I freaking love it. I do. I Uh, think it's good that they do that. I think it's good to feed the imagination of kids. Even if it wasn't a strong narrative choice, I'm glad that they're doing it just to feed the imagination of kids. You know what I mean? Right there there with you. So, Lucas, I'm curious to know who you are going to award your points this episode for the best character. I was just going to say the exact same thing about wondering that about you. Uh, Does that mean I'm going first? Yeah, take it away. Okay. Uh, are we doing number? We do number two first, or number one? Oh, that's interesting. So I think I kind of like to award the top first and then the runner-up. But see, don't we? Don't we want to like hype up the winner? You know? Hmm. Okay, let's try. Let's it hype the way. winner. Let's, okay, let's, okay. Let's, let's, go, let's go backwards. Who who gets your one point this episode? My one point. My number. My number two of the episode. One point. Number two. You're really doing a great job of keeping this simple for the listeners. Yeah, so twos and ones, Morse code, don't worry about it. Um, Who's who's your runner-up that only receives one point? See, in everything that we just said, we just hit a secret message. No, I'm just kidding. Don't don't hunt for that. I didn't. (laughs) If you hunt for that, I'll feel really bad. Um, For me, my point goes to Old Man McGucket. McGuffet, sorry. McGucket. McGuffet. McGucket? McGucket? 
You, you, said, Mac- you said MacGuffin like four times this episode, so <sighs> I started saying it. I thought it was MacGuffin before then. So I wrote it down that way, but now I'm looking right at Journal oh 3, and I God. see it written as Old Man McGucket. So I think that you were actually right, and I wrote it down four times in my notes. I'm so sorry. Okay, so uh, the Gravity Falls community has left us today, and we apologize. No, I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> if there's one thing the internet hates, it's it's getting small mistakes. Yeah, so this is I apologize in general. I've already said I'm not good at names, so I have no excuse. Or I, I, I have perfect excuses, actually. No one has any expectation. You, sir, are the disappointment. No, you're so right. I'm usually great. <laughs> I'm usually great. Okay, so I, I said on Old Man McGuff get McGucket. McGucket! I said Old Man McGucket because I really think that, A, um, it's a good introduction to him as a character. Part of this is a little biased because I know how important he is later, but... Or how he's important later. Not me. I don't want to be like, oh, he's so, you know, he's not like the, I, I don't know. I, I won't spoil anything, but I know his role later. So knowing how this is foreshadowing that kind of probably is biasing me a little bit. Um, but I love that moral. It really hit home with me. It might be because I might have some emotional bias from recent events in my life too, but I really loved that. I loved his character's eccentricness, his goofiness. He's funny. Um, and he really, the way that the writers tied in his redirection for the metaphysical element of the show, I thought was also great. Um, and he's he's very, there's so much more mysteriousness to him than they needed to add. Like, the fact that he's actually casually a mad scientist kind of does actually raise more questions than it answers at the end of this episode. You know, you don't leave this thinking like, oh, that's the kooky old man and that's what happened. You leave this thinking like, Okay, like, that was an extra thing to do, but actually, though, like, how come there's this mad genius here? Um, and, and all of those layers contribute to him getting that point for me. Nice. All right. I like it. Well, should I say who my one point? No, actually, yes. you, tell, me who, tell me who your okay. top okay. one is. I think that'll be easier. My top was Grunkle Stan. Ah, okay. Because he ties everything in this episode together, and he's given, I think, he's given the best amount of flavor which is hard because like i think i think dipper mabel and seuss were all extremely strong in this episode too in their own ways and all of them i thought at some point might get a point for me um but with grunkle stan his humor i love how funny this dude is He, he the amount considering we can give so much off color humor in a disney show to this character i think i love that so much the money laundering joke really i I love that so much. It's so funny. Just the idea that he's like enlisting like distant family members to make counterfeit money. I just think that's so funny still. Yeah, no, no, I'm with you. And for the record, I gave my one point to Grunkle Stan as well. He was my runner up uh, for all the reasons that you said. I I just, uh, he just made me laugh a lot this episode. And I love how you're thinking about it. You're taking it seriously. I think a lot of the time I'm probably just going to go for the characters that make me laugh the most. Maybe I'll prove myself wrong. But I I gave my two points to Seuss because there were (laughs) the moment where he just says, the real monster is you two. It made me laugh so hard that it just skyrocketed him right to the top for me. Yeah. And he had lots of really funny moments. Yeah. He had Um, great lines in this episode. He's a good reminder of how funny this show genuinely is. Definitely. How we do get lots of those classic cartoon type of slapstick notes constantly. Yeah. And Seuss is a big reason for that. So, all right. 
So Lucas, let's find some insights from Journal 3. Anything that we learned from the book that we maybe did not know prior to the episode. So the Gobblewonker entry is written by Dipper here, and it doesn't really add a whole lot, if I'm being honest. He does name drop the Loch Ness Monster as being like the creature that he's always wanted to see in his life, which I think is pretty cool because I relate. And I also bet that they couldn't put that in the episode so they were able to put it in the book instead well no i don't know if that's true because like the loch ness monster is not a property there's no ip i think Mm -hmm. maybe maybe there is actually i shouldn't say that this is america this is capitalism yeah scooby-doo has worked with it before yeah it is yeah they should be able to well there was a show called the secret saturdays that was like a cryptid show and it felt like they never name dropped real cryptids ever. And I don't know if that was a creative choice or if there was like a conflict, but uh, I won't go too far down that rabbit hole because we'll get to cryptids in a second. Um, Mm -hmm. But there's actually an entry in here on Old Man McGucket as well that Dipper wrote down. Uh, And, you know, he just sort of uh, mentions, I'm looking at it right now, that uh, he questions maybe he's wearing a robot forearm. Is he trying to turn himself into a robot? Basically, he's just writing down a whole bunch of possible conspiracies, like what's in his beard? Who is this man? Like, I don't know. He seems kind of suspicious. Does he know more than he lets on or less? Um, So it's just a page about Dipper at this point in the story speculating, uh, just thinking this is a weird dude and I want to know more about him. You know, I, I will, since I talked about two things I related to in college, this, there's a third from this entry as well. Never wears shoes. He calls them foot prisons. Yeah, that was definitely, that was me. I would go to class barefoot. I actually went to a graduation ceremony where I got this huge award and I was wearing like, I was wearing like super hippie clothes and didn't have shoes. And I didn't know it was an award ceremony and everyone was in like suits and stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I had no idea. And I went on stage totally barefoot wearing this like, I should not have, I shouldn't have been there. I shouldn't have been wearing that outfit. I was the only person in my philosophy degree accepting the award. So like, it didn't look good for the philosophy department. Yeah, we are already running low, but I need to share a childhood story because part of what we're doing here is kind of relating our experiences to Dipper and Mabel. Of course, yeah. You know, there was a moment when Lucas was in like the second grade, maybe even earlier, and everybody for his choir, his school choir, had to dress up fancy. And he would not freaking do it, no matter how hard our parents said, listen, you're going to be embarrassed. You're going to be the only one there who does it. And there is a Leave it to Beaver episode of an old show where this exact situation (laughs) happens and this kid Beaver gets talked into not dressing up. And then when he gets to his thing, all of his friends are dressed up because their parents made him do it and he's embarrassed. But the dad, the dad brought heroically a nice set of clothes that Beaver could change. And awesome, hero moment, dads are great. Well, our dad did the same thing inspired by that episode. And the the twist ending, Lucas is basically like, no, I'm not going to wear that anyway. So he stood up there in basically like a t-shirt and jeans or whatever it was while everybody else looked nice. Uh, More like while everyone else looked like a bunch of sheep and I looked like a thinker. That's what it was. <laughs> so the, the fact grade. that he once again did it in college as a philosophy grad is very funny to me. Personally. Okay, that was accidental though. That one was definitely I I got it. I had no idea I was walking into like if I had known I was going into an award ceremony. Well, I you would you would have showed up naked. I wouldn't have gone. <laughs> I wouldn't have gone. I'm serious. I wouldn't have. I'd have just let them mail it to me. I don't care about those ceremonies. Lucas Hester, ladies and hey, gentlemen. Hey, Alec was there for my graduation. Maybe you can hear that story on Patreon sometime. 
Hello? Are you there? It's me again, and I'm glad you're back. I've been trying to dissect these notes and managed to decipher the first section. It reads, Letters will come, but they're not what you see. We'll arrange the order and then give you the key. That's all I have so far, but there seems to be random letters in odd places throughout the book. Once I find them all, I'll report back. Stay tuned, and remember, I'm counting on you. Let's open up journal four. That is where Lucas and I add a cryptid to our own personal journal, the monster from our own world. And of course, that has to be the Loch Ness Monster this episode, right? I was hoping you were going to go with Makule Mbembe. Well, you listen, we could go with- basic biznitch. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we could go with Champ. There's all kinds of awesome lake monsters. We could make an entry for lots of lake monsters and put a bunch in. I mean, or I, I could try to- diver- I could diversify them more as the series goes. I don't know. What's I the mean, move we- here? I, I think I think the let, let me let me just shout out some honorable mention lake monsters because we probably won't revisit them again. Sure, I, I yeah, well we'll see, but I, I think it's worth a shot. Makule Mbembe, obviously. I yep. don't know very much like, from Africa. I think I'm I very well correct. researched. I think I'm right. Yeah, I'll make sure. Um, lake Champlain monster from uh, Champ. I think that's in Canada. Is Lake Champlain in Canada? Uh, so Lake Champlain covers a lot of places. I got to see it from Vermont personally. Oh, okay, cool. Wow, you were there. That's um, cool. Yeah, and I totally went out there to look for Champ. They've got like an eco center, which is kind of like a museum situation. And there's like, let me tell you, Champ is all over the city of Burlington, Vermont. Like, they have all kinds of merchandise of and course, yeah, icons, and like the, the former <laughs> baseball team was named after them. So <laughs> I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah, well, that's kind of the fun part about cryptids is that they sort of take a life of their own on, and a lot of it's probably marketing-related, whatever. Oh, of course. Tons of it. I mean, you know, I mean, that's that's Gravity Falls, right? The Mystery Shack is literally cashing in on, you know, ironically, all of the fake things despite all the real things, you know? Yeah, no, de- definitely. Okay, so we'll say we're going to add Champ because he's the famous American lake monster, Loch Ness Monster or Nessie, because... Nessie. Mm-hmm. She, I'm going to say, because Nessie, I... Well, you know what? I, How can I you gender something gender. that hasn't been discovered? You're right. We should use that. I apologize. Uh, <laughs> I don't even and Michaela Mbembe is just one that Lucas and I read about a lot in books growing up, and it's actually from Congo. The Congo! Hey, that's where my favorite animal, the Okapi, is from as well. Fun fact. Amazing. Okay. Uh, so, but let me, wow, uh, that was really enthusiastic. Wait, 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 to brush by my passion there, bud. No, oh, I'm just kidding. Lucas, can we also add, uh, Colossal Claude from Oregon? Because that is not I've only where Gravity Falls that, is located, sure. but, like, your location as well. Yeah, Where's that? Colossal Claude? That doesn't, I, no. I, I took a screenshot of Colossal Claude and I sent it to everybody. Is it in Hag Lake? It's, I, I don't know if that was a joke or not. It's, no, uh, Hag Lake's real. I've gone fishing. Oh, okay. Uh, where is Colossal Claude? We're really just on top we're, of Yeah, we're, we're super, yeah. Uh, Columbia River. Oh. It's not really a lake monster, then, is it? Uh, ooh. Okay, that's a good point. I mean, sea monsters like monsters. This is a big a deal, point. dude. Semantics matter here. I think Macaulay uh, Mbembe is a river monster, too, though. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, uh, so, so oh, but even though we're adding all of them, 
I'm just going to ask you about Nessie. I'm going to read the cryptid wiki, and I want you to tell me how likely you think it is oh, no. that Nessie is real, okay? I don't... Witness... <laughs> hey, listen, this is very scientific. Yeah, Witnesses no. tend to describe an animal with sleek, rubbery, blackish-gray skin about 20 feet long. Nessie wow. usually has the serpentine body that is typical for sea serpents and lake monsters, furnished with humps along its length and one or more sets of paddles, or sometimes stumpy legs. Paddles. Nessie's head is often described as roughly horse-shaped. It may have a straggly mane running down its neck. Oh and I feel God. I get the feeling that you're not Who taking this seriously. Hey, I'm still listening. And some witnesses report small horns are a crest, especially those who see the Loch Ness Monster from close up. Sometimes oh, yeah. witnesses report a smaller, rounder, turtle-like head. The head is the one that seems to appear in most of the famous Nessie photos. Now, Lucas, I'm not asking you to rate the description, but I do want you to rate on a scale of 1 to 10, how likely is it that the Loch Ness Monster is really walking this earth or swimming? Okay, I'm going to interpret that question as we're not talking about multiple dimension creatures because there's a whole other land of metaphysics I could get into with that. So if you're talking biological, this plane of existence, I'm sorry, am I supposed to rate it or just say yes or no? <laughs> just give me a scale of 1 to 10. Jesus Christ. Okay, it, can, am I basing this on my knowledge as well? Uh, yes, base it on whatever you want. <sighs> There's a I lot hope, of integrity here. I need you to take everything into, into account. I hope our father never sees this. I think there's maybe a one out of ten. Maybe less. A one out of ten chance that our father listens to this. Whoa. <laughs> no, Whoa. actually, I think there's a much higher chance. I think there's like a solid seven. Now, I think there's a way to... higher chance of that than Nessie being real. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that that is just a smart bet to make. Wait, 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 what did, what rating did you, you, wait, you gave Nessie a one? Oh my God, I glossed right over it. Yeah, you did. I'm, I'm happy oh about my that. Gosh, I know people dude, are going to hate me. You gave the Tokolosha too. <laughs> well, the Tokolosha has more like, more mystery. So you, there's more blanks to fill. The, the issue is the Loch Ness Monster has been like covered so much that it's like, you know, I mean, if you really, if you really, I'm sorry, everyone. I'm sorry if you're one of these people. If, if you look at the science guys. It's not there. All right, hang on. So it's not. You are going to rate the most famous cryptid on the planet at number one. Of course, of course, because it's their fame that makes them so much less likely. That is but not that big of a lake, my dude. And they have done so many searches, so many. There's no. It's way. been seen so many times compared to these other creatures, though, man. Okay, so, I'm not. I'm not. There's but, pictures. Wait, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. What you're, first of all, don't even get me started about pictures, but what you're saying, it's been seen so many times, A, just based in philosophy, that's anecdotal evidence, is technically fallacious, but even outside of that, <laughs> I'm going, I'm going with the idea that there's no metaphysical potential of, because I'm not saying that people didn't experience those things. I'm saying that there is not a living lake monster that is biological in the way that we are. So are maybe, we stretching this? Are we stretching this to, could there be a Loch Ness Monster that is also just a huge known creature? Because I'm not saying it's a plesiosaur. I'm just saying no. that there could be something large in the lake. Or I will say, I'll even stretch it, or at one point was. I would assume that at some point these creatures have to die, because that's usually well, how biology works. If, if, we're base, if we're defining it by, at one point there was, then the answer will always be yes, because dinosaurs existed. Oh my gosh. 
Try arguing with a philosophy major, people. I swear to God. <laughs> Please, I love it. It's fun for me. Um, I'm going to give the Loch Ness Monster a solid eight. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I'm grading on a curve. <laughs> I'm grading, grading on a curve. <laughs> grading on a curve with the, with the most likely, with the most likely creatures to exist. Um, I don't that think means it's you're grading out. That means you're grading out of nine instead of ten. If I was grading whether I think it would be likely and living, I'd probably be more like a three or a four because it's been a while since there seemed to be any legit sightings. Uh, but <laughs> I'm glad there's no comment section in this, in this podcast. Uh, go, to uh, my, go to our YouTube the, videos and go I'll be mad say, at me for this. The, the 10 will go to whatever creature I think is the likeliest. That's how I grade, personally. Um, well, I actually think that there are going to be ones that are way more likely. I mean, okay, so here's the thing. Like, there's this thing called the oarfish. And what the oarfish is, is the longest fish that is, like, actually serpent-like. And it was mistaken for a sea monster. That is an example of something that turned out to be a real sea monster. I mentioned the Okapi, who also lives in the Congo, like Mukule Mbembe. That is an example of something that used to be a cryptid that was later discovered. So I'm not ruling yep. anything out. I'm not, like, super, super skeptical, like, no, it doesn't exist. I'm just saying, if you're going to take literally the most famous, enormous lake monster in the world, and it's literally, it's not even in the ocean. Like, if you if it was in the ocean, yeah, I'd, I'd boost that number way up. I'd put that number towards eights or nines or tens. But you put it in a lake. Well, the so. lake is huge, and it's connected somewhat to an ocean through a passage. So it's possible that Nessie got out and went into the wide ocean, which I think the wide ocean is way more likely to house a creature like that because okay. how, of how much how, explored. How many species on this earth can survive in both fresh and salt water? Ten, maybe? Listen, pretty unlikely. I'm not gonna, I am not a biologist, but can I ask you, of the other ones that we inducted, Colossal Claude, Michaela Mbembe, or... Champ, do you actually think that any of those are possible? Well, they're all lake and river monsters, so unfortunately they all fall under the same scrutiny. I mean, there's more, there's more like plausible deniability because they're less covered, but like, you know, I mean, same issue. It's like you're looking for a giant monster in a small place, you know, like at least the, o like, you know, because in the ocean we've had the kraken, we've had the oarfish, we've, I mean, not kraken, we've had like a giant squid, which is essentially, honestly, just that kraken right mm -hmm. right so the the thing is the ocean actually has tons of space we haven't explored tons of crazy creatures we don't know exist tons of wild designs that totally play into the imagination of cryptids and it's just in, in, in fresh water and on land there's a lot less room for that you know lucas how many people do you think are still listening <laughs> i don't know we've never we haven't released one yet so i don't i don't know what our i, I don't have a sample size yeah <laughs> Most of the segments won't be that this long, but I'm thrilled that this one is this long. I regret yeah. nothing. Yeah, Not a can, single we... one-star review can possibly talk me out of this being a good idea. Well, don't tell uh, them that. We... <laughs> um, but now is probably a good time to start to re reach the resolution. So yeah. there are cryptograms. <laughs> At the end of every Gravity Falls episode, we are going to tell you what the cryptogram from this Gravity Falls <laughs> episode deciphered to. It is, drum roll. Maybe I'll put a sound effect there. <laughs> Next week... Return to Butt Island. So this one actually gives a little teaser as to what's coming next. Uh, you'll All see right. that some of these cryptograms are more important than others. And this one, I would say, is relatively important. So that's cool. And everybody, since we're all wrapping up here, just want to remind you that we have a presence on YouTube and we also have a Discord. So uh, if you want to join us and talk about cartoons on our Discord, 
Is there a link to that in the bio or uh, something? Yeah, I'm going to keep it in the show notes for all of the episodes. That'll be the easiest way to do that. And I would say do the same for social media. It'll be easier than me trying to explain all of our Instagram and Twitter handles. And the reason I say that is because when you're listening to a podcast and you hear debates like Alec and I are going to obviously debate in, in many ways... A lot of times you're going to want to add your opinions and we want to give you a platform to do that. So Discord's a cool place where you can connect and, you know, let your voice be heard. And obviously YouTube, there's the comment section. So. Yeah. I know a lot of people on other podcasts will use Twitter and we do have ones. You're more than welcome to use that if you want. Twitter's Um, dying. Also. Twitter's dying. Just accept it. I think that that's up for debate. It's up for debate. Uh, I'm literally a social media manager. That's my occupation. You could trust me. That actually is true. If you could give us five-star iTunes reviews, that makes a huge difference to helping our channel grow. Yep. And that's especially important because on YouTube, we have other ways to get response from people and your feedback helps. So and podcasts are harder to monetize. So the extra help helps, helps, helping. That's right. This helping. podcast is brought to you by the Brazilian Dragon Podcast Network. Uh, wow. I also want to shout out our artist with the amazing illustration for Gravity Bros. That is Tessa Scarborough. The voice of the mysterious woman is Anna LaFleur. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We will see you next week. Peace!